I want to welcome you guys all to church. So glad to have each and every one of you guys with us, especially our college students. We're so thankful that you're here. We've missed you guys for, for a long time. Welcome back home. Um, this is always home. We're so happy to see your beautiful faces today. I want to welcome all of you guys in church. And if you are watching online in Portland or Arizona or Alaska, we're so thankful to have you with us as well. Um, Do you guys happen to catch last night's Friday Night Live? Anyone? Yeah, so if you guys don't know, uh, Friday Night Live is one of our, our, our kind of online programs that we created after the pandemic started. And um, for a while, Pastor Jonathan and I, did, and I did it, and it was like pretty bad, right? And it was like pretty weak. And then Ed does what he normally does when he comes in, and he takes something and he makes it amazing, right? So Ed comes in, he takes over Friday Night Live, and it's been so good. And last night, we had an episode and it was the uh, Lee family, Paul Lee and Anna Lee's family. It was awesome. It was so, so good. And I was, like, so blessed by it. So thank you guys for doing that. And um, I know that they, like, nobody really wants to, but it's, like, a huge blessing for people when you do it. So if Ed asks to do Friday Night Live, please say yes. Okay? You're doing all of us a favor if you say yes. But um, one thing they talked about was kind of, like, the beauty and power of small groups uh, yesterday. And I was like, man, that's so true. And I... And I it's our dream, it's our purpose, it's our vision to get all of us in groups because life change happens, like things happen in small groups. So um, it's such a blessing. And actually the reason I'm saying that is because today's message um, comes from and is inspired by one of my small group meetings this past week as well. And this was unplanned. And it just so happened to be that this week's small group just like kind of moved me, inspired me, and challenged me. And that's where today's message came from. And so um, we're going to start with the word of prayer. Today is a standalone message, not connected to any series. Um, but next week, we're having a very special weekend, if you guys didn't know. It's our revival weekend, and we've invited a special speaker from Andrews University, the seminary there. His name is Dr. Joseph Kidder. He is amazing. He's going to come. We're going to have meetings Friday night, and then we're going to have two on Saturday in the morning and later in the evening, okay? So we want you guys all to be there for that. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be inspiring. It's going to be really, really good. And so I want to invite you guys all to that. Um, so for today, we're focusing on this one message that I think God has put on my heart through the small group. So let's pray together and let's get started. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for uh, your grace and mercy. And I thank you for this time that you've given us. Lord, I pray that you would um, just be really present in this place and that we would be very aware of your presence. And Father, you're going to challenge us today. You're going to say some things today that may make us uncomfortable. Um, but I hope that you would anoint our ears that we might hear exactly what you are trying to say to us. Thank you. Your name we pray. Amen. So in our uh, Thursday night small group, which is our Lake Oswego small group, um, we've been going through the minor prophets. And um, we've just been like pushing through. And we've done a bunch of them now. And uh, it was my turn to lead. And this week was Jonah. Was Jonah, which is for most people, if you grew up in church, even if you didn't really grow up in church, you kind of know what Jonah is about. And this was the conclusion, okay, after we kind of read it and talked about it, one of the biggest questions of the entire group was this question. Why is Jonah even in the Bible? Why is Jonah in the Bible, okay? Now, I know that you may be familiar with the story, but if you read it, this question comes up because it's a very strange book. It's really, really, really weird. And not just weird because of the whole fish, and that whole thing and like the vomiting of Jonah out onto the, you know, the, the, the sand and the beach and stuff like that. It's, it's not just that. It's a very, very strange book. It's categorized as a prophet book. It's in the minor prophets. But it's 
a prophet book, but it's very different. It's very strange compared to other prophet books. And what I mean by this is that most prophet books are about this. It's about God's message to Israel through a prophet. And the whole book and the whole, you know, whole thing is about the message that God is trying to send to his people. Now, the reason why Jonah is different and strange is because it's not about the message. It is not about the message at all. In fact, the message of Jonah in Hebrew is five words. Is five words. And it's, and it's basically stated one time. It's not about the message. Um, and it's not even a message given to Israel, his own people. It's given to a neighboring country called Assyria. So it's not even, it doesn't even have anything to do with Israel. It has to do with another country called Assyria, who are known to be brutal and violent and wicked and evil. And so it's a message to them, but it's not about the message. It's given through a prophet, and it's not about the message of the prophet. It's about the prophet. And Jonah is not even like this wonderful, virtuous, amazing man. Sorry to, sorry to, warn, sorry to ruin it for you if you thought he was awesome based on VeggieTales and, and all the things that we see online. Jonah is the worst. He is the worst. You are all way better than Jonah, okay? Jonah is terrible. He is a terrible, terrible human being. You don't want to be like Jonah if you look at his life and the way he acted. And you don't want any of your family members to be like Jonah. And you don't want to have friends like Jonah. Trust me. We're going to get into kind of what made Jonah terrible. So the question is, why is this even here? Like, he's not a model or an example for us. There's no message and all we see is this guy who's just terrible go to this neighboring country that's not God's people and give him a message. So why? Why is it even in the Bible? And the answer is that it's in the Bible because it has the same purpose as every other book in the Bible, which is to reveal God's character. And what's cool about Jonah is it reveals God's character in this really like amazing, brilliant, surprising way. And it not only reveals God's character, the Father, but it also reveals Jesus in the story as well. And so it's actually quite a brilliant piece of writing. And it's really, really impressive. And it's just very, very different and strange. And so that's kind of the point to reveal God's character. But then it does something else. And there's a twist. There's like this big twist in the story, in its purpose, that we're going to get to later. And I want you guys to remember that. Put that in the back of your minds. There's a twist. Can we all say, there's a twist? There's a twist. There's a twist in the book of Jonah. Okay, so it, 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 it reveals God's character and it reveals all these things. And it does it by, by sharing three comparisons. Three comparisons. And what we're going to do in today's message is I'm going to go over the three comparisons. And we're going to figure out what Jonah is all about. About. So the first comparison in the book of Jonah, comparison one, is Jonah and Jesus. So Jesus is actually kind of in the book of Jonah, right? So in, in the story, you see Jonah and Jesus compared so many times. Now, in, in the Bible, there is this, uh, there's this like aspect of Bible interpretation called typology, typology. And typology means, it, what typology is, it is a special kind of symbolism in the Old Testament. Okay, so this is something important for you to know. You don't really need to know the word, but that's what it is. Typology is all over the Old Testament, and it's symbolism, but it's very special. It's symbolism because there are things in the Old Testament that represent things that will come in the New Testament. But it is special because all those symbols, they all represent the same person, and that is, you probably guessed it, Jesus. 
So you see this all throughout the Old Testament. Let me give you a couple examples. Isaac is a symbol of Jesus, okay? Because he is, uh, he is Abraham's son, arguably his only son because he's his only legitimate child. And then he has to be what on the mountain? Sacrificed. So he's a, what we call a type of Jesus. He is a symbol for Jesus. Joseph in, in Genesis is also a symbol for Jesus. He was, a, he was a beloved son. He was a beloved son. He was rejected and betrayed by his own people, his own family, his own blood. And he is uh, betrayed for what? For silver. It literally says silver. Jesus was also betrayed because of silver by Judas. Uh, he is... Um, he begins to work for Pharaoh and begin his life-giving ministry at the age of 30. Jesus was believed to begin his ministry also at the age of 30. So Joseph is also a type for Jesus. He's a symbol for Jesus. And you see this throughout the entire Bible. Moses, Abraham, David, all these guys are symbols of Jesus. And Jonah is also a type of Jesus. So I want to look at a couple examples of the story and uh, we're going to see how Jonah and Jesus are really compared a bunch of times. So the story goes, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole overall story, but a couple, couple points. Jonah chapter 1 verse 4 tells us this. The Lord sent a great wind on the scene. This is when Jonah escapes from God and he goes onto a boat. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down. And what was he doing? Fell into a deep sleep during a storm. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. In Mark chapter 4, we see Jesus says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was. In the boat, there was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Do you guys see the similarities in the story? There's a, so, so, so we see, we see this, this similarity here, this, this comparison here. Uh, later on in the story, uh, Jonah eventually is thrown off the boat, and then this is where the famous part happens, where the fish comes in. But did you guys know that the fish is not about, this is not what the story is about? Like the whale is not what the story of Jonah, the whale, the fish that gets all the attention, it is talked about in a whopping two sentences in the entire book of Jonah. It's not about the fish, all right? But that's what happens. But when he, when he goes into the fish, this is what it says. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Sound familiar? So what happens in, in, in this story is you see, you see Jesus also say a very, very similar thing when he says that I will give you the sign of Jonah and I will be in the belly of the fish. I will be in the earth. I will be dead for three days and three nights. Later on, when Jonah gives his message to the Assyrians and the Assyrians all accept it and repent and believe and everything has changed, Jonah is so mad. Right? And this is why we're talking about why Jonah is so terrible. Because people's lives are saved and he's mad. Okay? Uh, and so he's angry and this is what he says. He says to God, this is crazy. Just kill me now, Lord. So dramatic, dude. Right? So dramatic. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And when he says what I predicted will not happen is all of those people in this area, those hundreds of thousands, 120,000 people, they're all dead. If that doesn't happen, I'd rather be dead. This is what Jesus says. 
I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. So this symbolism is a little bit different. They're not the same. They're similar but opposite. And so you see this in typology as well, where things are compared, but they are the opposite of one another. Because essentially what Jonah says is, I'd rather die than have them live. And Jesus says, I will die so that they might all live. So the point of all of this, the point of all of this is that we see Jesus in the story of Jonah and see that Jesus, the coming antitype is what it's called, that the person they symbolize is far greater than Jonah. And for the Israelites, when they, when they saw Jesus doing his thing in the earth and, and saying the things he said, they've read this stuff. And the point is that they would see Jesus and say, wait, 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 wait. That, that reminds me of Isaac. Oh, do you hear what he said? That kind of reminds me of Joseph. Oh, that, that, that really reminds me of Jonah. Like maybe there's something to this guy because he's, he's being just like these famous people in our scriptures who are holy and prophets and had a special purpose. Maybe he's someone special. So that, that's kind of the point. But at the same time, God's, God's character is, is highlighted and accentuated because it's placed right next to a person who, as we were saying, is just terrible. Right? So, so it's like when, when you see something, when you see two things next to each other that are the opposite, they become accentuated. The differences become accentuated. For example, like you all know that you look at me and you know I'm pretty pale. Right? You all know that. That I don't tan and this is kind of what I look like. In fact, it's always a problem for the AV booth. They have to adjust the cameras for my face because I'm too white for this camera and it looks kind of overexposed. So you think I look like, you know, we all know I look like that. But if you brought Pastor Jonathan up here with me and he stood right next to me, I'm going to be glowing. I'm going to be like shining up. I'm going to be illuminated, right, because he looks so much different. And then he at the same time will look like night, you know, basically. So, so in the same way where they put God and Jonah together, God's glory, God's goodness, God's beauty, God's love is accentuated and highlighted. See, this is what Jonah says in Jonah chapter 4. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to, anger, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. So and then he says what we just saw, just kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. So they're like, dude, Jonah, come on, man. Like, these are people's lives we're talking about. It's 120,000 people, a whole city, and you're acting like this. And then in that same conversation, God responds. And he says, hey, Jonah, come on. You feel sorry about this plant, because there was a plant that grew and then died in one day. He says, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly, but Nineveh, has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. God cares about animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And so when they're put next to each other, you're like, dang, God is so great. God is so amazing. Jonah is like horrible, but God, look at God. He, he's so caring. He's so loving. He cares about people. And, and in this moment, in the book of Jonah, it, it reveals and exposes a very uncomfortable truth. And it, it, it pulls out and reveals a very scandalous truth. And the truth is, God loves his enemies. And you're like, yeah, I know that. But what that means, let's be, let's be clear. What this means is he loves 
your enemies. And the question of Jonah is, are you okay with that? Are you okay with a God who loves the people that you do not like? Are you okay with a God who will bless people that you completely disagree with and they will be successful? Are you okay with that? Because that's how God is. I know you don't like them. I know they bother you. I know you don't want to spend time with them. I know you hate when they come over or hate when they start talking about this thing. I know that you're against what they are for. Are you okay with the fact that I love them? You okay with that? That's how God is. But Jonah's not. And so we see God's character in that comparison. So that's comparison number one. Jonah and Jesus. The second comparison, which I think is the most fun comparison in the book of Jonah, is Jonah and the pagans. So in the, in the story, there are two groups of pagans that are, 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 are described. The first group, you know, it's kind of the obvious group, are the Assyrians. They're these horrible people. They're these brutal people, these evil people, these wicked people. But they're also another group of pagans in the story. It's the immoral sailors, these pagan sailors who believe in all these other gods and do all these crazy things. And they, you know, they're bad, bad people is kind of the perspective that the reader would have of the Assyrians and the sailors. But in the story, Jonah and the pagans are compared and contrasted. So when Jonah is in the boat and the storm is coming, I want to look at what, how these pagans, these pagan sailors who are far from God respond. The storm is happening and this is what happens. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Meaning, actually let me, let me get to kind of all the meaning. Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. The sea was getting rougher and rougher so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Kill me. Let me die. Throw me off this boat and let me die. And it will be calm. I know that it is my fault and this great storm has come upon you. And then look at their response. The men, instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They're like, no, no, no. Are you kidding me? We're not going to throw you overboard. That's crazy. Like, I know we don't know you. And yes, you are probably the cause of this. But we're not going to kill you, man. That's insane. Let's, we can do this. We can do it. Let's just try really hard. So they row, 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 row. And they find out they can't really do it. So then they end up throwing him overboard. But this is what they say. They cried out to the Lord, God, that they didn't believe in like 10 seconds ago. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. They feel bad. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. He's innocent. For, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then after the storm calms down, it says, At this the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered him a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So you have these guys who are pagan, immoral sailors who recognize the spiritual nature of the storm. Like, they have a spiritual perspective, right? They're, they're like, in this moment, they're in the storm, they're like, yo, 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 this is not normal. This must be from a God. This is, something's crazy going on. They go to Jonah, and they're like, pray, pray, pray. Let's all pray. So they're all praying and crying out to God. It's like, they seem like actually really cool people. Here's the thing. 
Or they seem actually really, really nice. And then when Jonah's like, kill me, they're like, no, we're not going to kill you. We're going we're gonna to try to save you. So they're rowing and rowing, and they're, they're getting blisters, and they're, just trying to, they're risking their lives. Get this. They're risking their lives for a stranger they just met whose fault the whole storm is so that he doesn't have to die. Like, these are good dudes, am I right? Like, these guys are really good people. They're so kind. And then, and then when they actually do kill him, they feel terrible. They're like, God, please forgive us. And at the end of the story, they worship God. And they vow to serve him. And they're like, we're going to follow you now. Like, they're, they're open-minded. And, and they're, they're kind. And they're generous. And, and they're willing to sacrifice of themselves. And they grow and learn and change in the story. Like, these are, these are good people, man. And then you have the Assyrians who are these brutal, violent people who when they hear this five-word sermon from Jonah, they all change. And they're like, you know what, you're right. Let's, let's do this. Let's, let's end this. Let's not be like this anymore. The king even tears his robes and everyone fasts, including the animals. And like everyone changes and becomes good. Like these, like when you look at this comparison at the same time, you look at Jonah who is the exact opposite of all these people, Right? He is not compassionate. He does not care. He is not willing to risk his life. He wants to run away. He wants them to die. He doesn't like them. He hates them. He wants them to all go away. He, he is stubborn and closed-minded. He is hard-hearted. He does not change through the entire story. No matter what he sees, he does not change. His heart does not change. He disobeys God, whereas these people obey God. So like these pagans and Jonah are compared and it's crazy because the man of God, the prophet of God, is less noble than these horrible, horrible pagan sinners. The people who are away from God, who are not the people of God, seem to be kinder, more gracious, more caring than the man who represents the chosen people who have a knowledge and special relationship with God. The people outside seem to be better than the people inside. And as you read the story, what's supposed to happen is in your mind, this idea should be popping up. As, you, as, as Jonah and the pagans are compared, and this is what we should be thinking, it's this is not right. There's something very, very wrong in this situation where Jonah, the man of God, is so horrible and these pagans who don't know God seem to be so much better. This is not right. There's something very wrong and this is not okay at all. And that brings us to our third comparison. And I hope you know, maybe you're, you're kind of tracking, and, and I really want you to be thinking and experiencing this as we go. As, as we're reading the story, and, and, and Jesus is compared to Jonah, and you're like, oh, Jesus is so great, and, and Jonah's so horrible. These pagans, man, they're like better than Jonah. Why is Jonah so messed up? And we're thinking about kind of the situation that they're in. This is where the twist, remember I said there's a twist? This is where the twist happens. Because as we're looking at this story I hope what's happening in your mind is you're looking and thinking about how bad Jonah is. Jonah, why can't you care? Jonah, how can you be like this? How, why, why can't you just 
change your mind? Why can't you be open-minded? Why can't you follow God? Why can't you care the fact that 120,000 people are going to live now even though they were going to die? Like, why can't you, like, why do you have to be so selfish? Like, the only time he's, he's happy in this story is when he's sitting and then a piece of, he gets in the shade, right? Like, when he sits down and then shade forms, that's the only time he's happy. And, like, I don't know, I read that and that annoyed me so much. Like, isn't that, like, just so annoying? Like, wow, that's the only thing you care about in this story is that you get shade from a little plant? And so I read this and I'm like, dude, what's wrong with you? And this is where the twist happens. And this is part of the purpose of Jonah. Because the third comparison, the first comparison was Jonah and Jesus. The second comparison was Jonah and the pagans. The third comparison is Jonah and you. And that's what the twist of the story is. We look at Jonah and what, what the writer and the story tells what God wants us to do, as we look and condemn Jonah for being this way, we think, wait, 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 wait. That's kind of like me. I, I kind of see myself in this story. And I remember thinking, dude, like Jonah had a terrible heart, yet he changed the lives of 120,000 people in one single sermon. I've never done that. How come I don't get to do that, God? Like, Jonah's terrible. I'm way better than him. I'm kind. Like, I love people, and I don't want people to die. But my servants, man, what do they do? I've never had 120,000 people's lives changed because of what I've done. That's not fair. And in that moment, God is like, bro, you are Jonah. Look at your attitude right now. You are Jonah. You're jealous. You're envious. You think you're entitled to something. You are Jonah, Chris. You know, when we were doing this, uh, this study and we were talking about it, we were like, oh, yeah, Jonah's the worst. He's terrible. We're, like, laughing. And then someone, and this person shall remain nameless, he was like, ah, ha, ha, Jonah's me. And we're like, oh, yeah, you're terrible too, man. Ah. But that is exactly the point. We all have Jonah in us, guys. We all have those qualities, those issues, those flaws in our lives. You know, what, what God is doing in this story, this is so important, this is so key. What God is doing in this story is he's exposing, he's exposing the worst tendencies that tends to form in God's own people. And he's saying, this is the other side of the coin of being the chosen people. You're my chosen people. I love you. I'm compassionate. I'm going to bless you. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a future and a, like all that. You're my chosen people. But the, the flip side of it, the other side of the coin is when you have that in your mind, what can happen, what can form is the mentality and the heart and the attitude of Jonah. Pride can tend to form when you are part of God's people. Hard-heartedness, closed-mindedness can happen when you are part of God's people if you're not careful. Tribalism, superiority, this us-versus-them mentality this can happen is one of the worst tendencies that tend to form in God's people. Judgmentalism. Closed-mindedness. The inability to learn and grow and change. God is saying, be careful. You're my people and I love you, but this can happen. You got to know that you're Jonah. 
And he leads us through this process to think about how we might actually have Jonah in us. I mean, if you think about the story, the first thing he does is he runs from God. God tells him, I want you to do this. And he's like, nope. And he goes the other direction. Who, can, who among us cannot identify with that? Like we can all identify with that of God putting something on our heart, asking us to do something, giving us a command, not even with his voice or like, but just in the Bible we know and we run away from it. Come on, let's be honest. We all know what that's like. We got some Jonah in us. We know what it's like to, to, to not want to do what God wants us to do and then do things our own way. We know what that's like. And then when he goes on the ship and he tells the guys to, to throw him overboard, you know, like, that seems like a noble story, right? Like, that seems like a noble thing that Jonah did. Like, wow. Jonah, what are you talking about, Chris? Jonah was willing to sacrifice himself for those people. Actually, that's not what happened. You see, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He said, I'd rather die. Like, he said that very clearly. I'd rather die than do anything to save those terrible people. And what he's doing when he asked them to throw him overboard, he's asking that someone else take the responsibility for his actions. I want to die, but I'm not going to take responsibility. Instead, you sailors, you're going to be guilty of my, of my death. I'm not going to kill myself, but if you throw me in, you guys are the ones who are going to bear responsibility. You are guilty. And I know that sounds really horrible, but I think we've done that too. We've all had those times, and maybe we're in that, and maybe we struggle with that, of blaming other people for our problems. And we say, no, 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 it's their fault. If they weren't like that, this wouldn't have happened. You know, we, we have a tendency to not take responsibility or want to take responsibility for the things in our lives. And it's easy to blame other people. It's easy to blame our parents. And it's easy to blame our friends. And it's easy to blame our, our family. And it's easy to blame the church. Oh, it's the church's fault. It's God's fault. It's, it's pastor's fault. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. It's not me. That's the heart of Jonah in us. Oh, things would be so much better if they would just change. That's the heart of Jonah in us. And the greatest flaw, the most highlighted flaw in the entire book is Jonah's inability to have compassion for other people. That, that's the biggest flaw that is revealed in Jonah, right? The 120,000 people in Assyria who are spiritually blind, God says, they don't even know what they're doing. They're, they're, we need to look upon them with compassion, not anger. He's like, I don't care. I hate them. I wish we could get rid of them. I'd rather die than have any of them live. Even the children, even the animals, I just, I just want them gone. And God is like, no. No, man, you're missing the point. And dare I say that we have this in us as well. That we have a hard time caring about people who are not us, that we have a hard time caring about people who are not in our inner circle, that we are so focused on our own lives, in our own families, in our own kingdoms, that we miss so much of what is going on in people's lives around us. That's Jonah in us. So you see, what, what God wants in this story, and this is where we're going to end, what God wants for his people. This is what God wants. God wants his people to care about other people who are not their people. 
Let me say that one more time because that might be confusing. God wants his people to care about other people who are not their people. You know what I mean by their people, right? Their circle, their group, their friends, their community. God wants his people to care about people outside of my people. And so the question I want you to ask and I want to linger in your minds is this. Do I have the ability to care about people who are not me? Do I have the ability to care about people who are not me? Do I have the ability to care about things that don't directly affect me? Do I have the ability to to love people that I don't know very well? Do I have the ability to care that something is happening in someone's life, even though it has no bearing on my life? Whatever happens to them is not going to affect me at all. Do I have the ability to care about it? Because that's what God does. God has the ability. That is God's heart. But the heart that says, I'm just going to focus on myself and me and my world, that's Jonah. Tim Mackey, the founder of the Bible Project, this is what he says about the book of Jonah. He says the book of Jonah is like the scene in a movie, like a spy movie, where someone is running to, you know, like a spy is running down a dark alley, or they stop in a dark alley, or they end up in a warehouse, and then they stop, and they see this, like, red dot laser beam on their chest. You know that scene in the movies? Where they stop, and then there's, like, a sniper who has a rifle pointed directly at them, and they see this thing, and they're like, oh. He said that's the book of Jonah. You read this book and you're like, oh, Jonah, Jonah, bad Jonah, bad Jonah. Wait a minute. It points right back at you. And it says, how much of Jonah do you got in you? And God says, I want my people to be people who are going to care about other people who are not their people. Jonah didn't do that. What about you? Like this, this story, this book is crazy in the way it challenges us. You know, we talked earlier about how the pagans in the story seem to be kinder and more gracious and more loving and more patient and more generous than, than Jonah, the man of God. And here's where it's going to get real, real, guys, in this moment, okay? That is the narrative today about the church. That, that is the story. That is the narrative in the world of Christianity and people who attend church. That people away from God who don't attend church, who are not the people of God, are kinder, gracious, more patient, more loving, more accepting than the people who are in church. That's the narrative, guys. And there is a general understanding, and this is crazy, that going to church makes you a worse person. Like that needs to be very uncomfortable for you to think about right now. And it doesn't matter, here's the thing, it doesn't matter if you agree or disagree. I disagree. I disagree because I know wonderful people. I know you guys. You guys are great people. I love you. You guys are awesome. It doesn't matter if I agree or disagree with that perception. That is the perception. Just like in Jonah, that is the perception. And we can get mad, we can get offended, and we can get angry or We can do what we can to change the narrative. We can do what we can to change the perspective. And so that's what I want to challenge us to do. Not to get upset. Not to shake our fists at the world and say, no, you don't even know. know, You're just judging me. But to change it in the way that God wants us to be changed. So here's my challenge for you guys. I think it starts with, 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 with discovering what I call 
our not me's. Our not me's. Who are our not me's? Who are the people in my life that are not me, not in my group, not in my thing, that are around me that I think God wants me to care about? Who are my not me's? Who are your not me's? And if, you, if you're having a hard time kind of figuring out who are your not me's, I'll make it even easier. Because I think the best group of people you can find your not me's are the people in your outer circle. Your not me's are in your outer circle. So everyone knows the inner circle, right? We all know the idea of the inner circle. And you all have an inner circle. You don't need to worry about your inner circle because you love your inner circle. You care about your inner circle. You naturally take care of them. You naturally want to give to them. You naturally want to sacrifice for your inner circle. I'm asking you to think about your outer circle. People you have kind of a relationship, people you kind of know, but they're not really in there. In that group, there's your not me's. There are your not me's. And right now, what I'm praying and hoping is that God is flashing a face or a name in your brain right now. And that is your not me. See, if we want to be the people of God, if we want to be the church, if we want to be the, the people of God, the righteous people of God, what we have to do, we have to learn, we have to grow, we have to have the ability to care about people who are not our people. Because that's exactly how God is. That is exactly how Jesus is. We need to do that so that we can change the narrative. That perception, it bothers me. And I want to change it. Not, and, and the reason why is not because like, oh, is it because we can have more people come to our church? No, that's not why I want to change the narrative. Is it because we can, we can have people like us? No, that's not why. Is it so that, so that, we can gain more members and get more tithe money. Is it because that's what culture is telling us to do? No, that's not the reason why I want us to change the narrative. The reason I want to change the narrative is because the narrative makes Jesus look bad. And I don't want Jesus to look bad. And I have to ask myself, how have I made Jesus look bad? I no longer want to do that. But we can't, do it as a, we can't do it as a big organization. That's not how it works. It's going to take individual people, one-on-one, -on -one, you, with a person, showing them that's not what Jesus is like. And that's not what the followers of Jesus are like. Let me show you. So think about who are my not me's? Who are the people in my outer circle? Not quite in my inner circle, but in my outer circle that I can love and serve and be kind to so I can change the perception and change the narrative. Make Jesus look as good as he truly is. That's the only way we're going to do it, one person at a time, one act of kindness at a time, one relationship at a time. You see, I believe with my whole heart that the church, the local church, is the hope of the world. I believe that. That's why I'm a part of it, guys. That's why I'm a pastor, because I believe that the church is the hope of the world. And so that's why I want to do what we can to change the narrative so we can be that hope. Let's go be that hope among the people in our lives and the people we work with, with the people we interact online. Let's be that hope.
and show people how good Jesus is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's a tough message, God. It's hard for me to, to look at my own life and see how I'm, I'm in no place to judge Jonah. And Father, the same sins and the same flaws and the same issues that he has, I find them in myself. But God, we have, a, we have an opportunity to, to be different. Our story is not over. Unlike Jonah, his story is written and done. Our story is still being written right now. We have the moment to make a decision to be more like you, to be more like Jesus to this world. Father, for me personally, I don't know if everyone's going to identify this, but I want to ask for your forgiveness in the ways that I have made you look bad in this world. The ways I've made you look bad to other people. And I want to repent of that. And I hope that we as a church and a community would repent of that as well. Father, let's help us to follow you in the way you've asked us to follow, be followed. And Father, help us to show the world that you truly are the hope of this world. In your name we pray.